The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Collision, Part 4. Written by Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Mercedes Lackey. Bella sagged forward, holding herself up against the cold steel of the medical table, sweating and shaking from the things she had witnessed. And it hadn't only been Red Team that had nearly been destroyed, it had been Echo Europe and Corby as well. If it hadn't been for Kanjar... That... had been close. Too close. How in hell Kanjar had managed to sneak her forces in through that open portal... When we were moving into place, everyone was concentrating on what was ahead, not what was behind. No, that can't have been it. Black Snake must have some stealth tech we don't know about. That stood to reason. They were a PMC that often did covert operations anyway. But how had Kanji managed to distract Verdigree long enough to get a force of any size put together, much less infiltrate them behind Echo? I must have been kidding myself when I thought Verdigree wasn't paying attention. I bet he is, but right now, he's figuring to let us and the Thulians butt heads, then cozy up to whoever starts to win. That would make perfect sense. Except for Sarah. He wanted Sarah, and I doubt he's given up on getting her. Dominic Verdigree never gives up on what he wants. She wrenched her thoughts away and concentrated on the images being projected in her vision by her implanted HUD. Blue Team was still on the move, still undetected, and still behind the main Thulean forces. Somehow Red Genie was keeping them safe. But all of the teams had been cut off from the portal now. She could see the concentration of red dots at that spot, and if the Thulians hadn't closed it down, they'd certainly booby-trapped it, or were waiting in ambush. If it was still open, maybe the SFO troops in reserve could... Stop it. That's not your job now. Bella? The only reason she heard that thread of a whisper was because his mouth mic picked it up. Bull was awake. Overwatch, Bull, private, she said quietly shoving herself away from the table and taking a few unsteady steps towards the curtained-off section of the recovery tent where he'd been left. Lucky bulwark. As the first casualty, he'd gotten the corner spot, where two of the walls of the inflated forward medical unit met. He'd have a tiny amount of privacy. Gardner, don't move. Don't even try or I'll sedate you if your conventional team doesn't beat me to it and do it first. Yes, um. This is what passed for humor with Bulwark. She wasn't sure whether to laugh or cry. At least he was feeling good enough in a relative sense to make a stab at humor. Did you play back yet? she asked, hurrying past the airlock in the middle of the structure. Positive airflow kept the building inflated and at the same time would keep chemical or biological agents out. Probably. It was surreal in here, all the empty cots, everything white or steel. Overhead was the inflated fabric of the building itself, also white, to let in the most light. 
like a scene from a 1960s science fiction movie. Yes. She was almost to his spot, easy to see by the curtains pulled shut around it. Good. She was through the curtains, eyes only for him, ignoring all the gear that was hooked up to him, quietly doing its monitoring. Everything was green, but she already knew that. He still looked like hell, but Sylvie had gotten the swelling down on his face somewhat. It only looked blue and puffy, and his eyes weren't swollen shut anymore. No surprise, they were also so bloodshot, the whites were veined like marble. His eyes tracked her sensibly as she checked his chart, checked the IVs to make sure they matched the chart, then went down on her knees beside the cot and laid her hand as lightly as a feather on his. Please, let me not have triggered something else. Please. Got me. On the good drugs, he rasped. Good. Then the pain isn't unbearable right now. Well, you earned them, she retorted, after a quick check revealed nothing more going on than metahealing. Not quite untermensch level, but faster than she had dared hope. The relief nearly made her faint. Art's doing... all right. So he was tracking the teams himself. She'd been biting her thumb most of the time, second-guessing the art of war, and not knowing if what she would have done would have been better, worse, or made no difference at all. So's Molotok, she replied. Putting Jeannie in charge of Blue seems to have worked out. Bulwark's swollen lips twitched downward a little. In spite. You were right. I was wrong. And it almost cost us everything. I am never going to countermand your... Stop. Bull's hand stirred a little under hers. Done. Over. She's... Red's problem now. Yes, she said, her heart alternately aching and rejoicing. And now... You're mine. In the open square surrounding one of the tall, dome-capped towers, five full squads of Lulian guards stood at attention, scanning their immediate perimeter for any sign of intruders. In the distance, sounds of combat raged throughout the city, though they had yet to see any of it. Orders were orders. Their tower could not be compromised, and they were to defend it with their lives. Beside them, dozens of robotic wolves sat on their metallic haunches, still, but ready to leap into the fray with a single command. High overhead, the eagles continued to soar and act as aerial scouts. This part of the city was secure, and with ample time to dig in, nothing short of a legion of invaders would unearth them from this spot. So they were taken completely by surprise when three invaders emerged around a nearby building and were marched unceremoniously into the square, herded by a lone figure at gunpoint. As one, the wolves came to their feet while each guardsman turned and raised an energy cannon in their direction. 
It was an impressive sight, and coupled with the synchronized sound of hydraulic legs and the heavy stomp of armored boots, along with the eerie hum of each cannon ramping up with deadly intention, it was intimidating enough to stop the three captives in their tracks. They looked hesitantly back at their captor. Did I say you could stop marching, Echo Schweib? he snarled. Into the tower with you. Or, how do you schwach? Eber Nick Narren say it. Play date, laughed Vade. I must be elsewhere and see to our other unwanted guests. From one of the Thulian squads, one trooper detached himself from the ranks, motioned to two of the wolves, and approached the newcomers. He kept his cannon raised and barked at them in German. Unklaublich, the captor muttered. Das Trottel, does he honestly not recognize me? He stepped forward past his prisoners, glared at the Thulian, and let loose a blistering barrage of contempt in German, enough to give the Thulian pause and lower his cannon slightly. Doppelganger, the Thulian said, and looked down at the wolves. The wolves rose up, bared their teeth, and bathed the newcomers with a probing red light from their eyes. After a moment, the light faded, they relaxed, and they turned to pad their way back to their place in the guard formation. The lone Thulian watched them go, and turned back to the stranger. Seemingly satisfied, he came to attention and saluted smartly. Air doppelganger, he barked. Doppelganger approached him slowly, his lips parting into a sadistic grin. Was hast du mitnennen? The Thulian faltered, bewildered, then snapped to attention again. Versehen sie mir, Herr. Ich wollte sagen, Meister Doppelganger. Besser, Doppelganger snarled. He pointed his rifle at his prisoners. Diese Echo Abschwan sind mein Gefangen. Ich will... Excuse me, Mel said, interrupting. Would y'all mind speaking English? If you're planning on just killing us here, least you could do is let us see it coming. Doppelganger stiffened up, turned on his heel, marched quickly up to Mel and gave her a vicious backhand. Mel gasped, her head flying back, and spat blood. Silent Knight gave an angry cry and lunged forward, only to meet the barrel of Doppelganger's rifle firmly pressed into his neck. There followed a tense pause, but Doppelganger merely chuckled and let the rifle drop to his side. You are right, of course, he said. Please, excuse my manners. I was just about to tell my subordinate here that I am taking you to the holding cells until I have such time to deal with you properly. We seem to be in the midst of an assault on our fair city, if you haven't noticed, and I am needed elsewhere. But do not worry. I will make it a priority to see that you are personally and properly bled dry and gutted like the subhumans you are. He glanced back at the Thulians standing in formation, chose one at random, and gestured with a flick of his head. Du, da, 
Doppelganger barked. Diese drei sind unter mein Kontroll. Führe uns und den Zellen. The Thulian stepped forward, gave a quick salute, and marched back to the tower. Doppelganger bowed to his captives with a grandiose wave of his hand. After you, my honored playthings. Mel glared at him, wiped the blood from her lips, and started after the dispatched Thulian guard. Knight and Scope fell into step behind her. Doppelganger trained his rifle on them again and whistled a jaunty marching tune as he brought up the rear. Ahead, the guard had already opened the gate and was waiting in a small antechamber inside. Once they had all entered, the guard keyed in a passcode and signaled the heavy door to close behind them. That was when they jumped him. The guard screamed as night barreled into him. Not that it did any good, no sound escaped from his lips or from anywhere at all, as the armored man's suit absorbed it all. They fell to the floor grappling when the guard noticed the muzzle of a heavy revolver just inches from his face. Scope's expression was dispassionate and cold as she squeezed off a few rounds point-blank in complete silence. The bullets pierced the thin mesh just under the nose guard and bounced around inside the otherwise impervious helmet. The Thulian's body stiffened up, then relaxed as Knight released his grip and picked himself up off the floor. He looked about, gave the thumbs up, and turned off his sonic dampening so they could speak normally. I can't believe that worked, Scope said, shaking her head. I admit, I got a little worried when those wolves started probing us, Doppelganger shrugged. Wonder what that was about. He turned away, took a deep breath, and grunted as he shed his face. Scope reached into her sack and threw him a long red scarf. The genie reached out, caught it blindly, and wrapped it around his head. That's better, he said, turning back to them. That's not a face I want to wear any longer than I have to. You wore him well, Mel said in congratulations. Well enough to convince those goons, anyway. I've seen him in front of his men, Red offered. He's not much more than bluster and snarls to them. He saves the poetry for his enemies, not to mention the true depths of his sadism. He swore, reminded of something. Listen, Mel, about that slap. It was a good touch. Mel interrupted, smiling. I mean, not a good touch, Cher, and we both know just how good you can be. Get a darn room, Knight muttered. But it worked, Mel finished. I think it got us where we needed to be. We're not there yet, Red disagreed. We need a new reading. Mel nodded and pulled out the scanner. She studied it for a moment and smiled. Confirmation, she crowed. Two hundred feet, give or take, right below us. Red looked up. Of course, all he saw was the ceiling, but it didn't take any imagination for the rest of them to know he was thinking of that mushroom shape up there. So, the generator is down under us, but the operational end is up there. Field projector? 
He looked back down and straight at Silent Night, who was the closest thing they had to a techie. Seems likely, Knight agreed in his synthesized voice. But why not ask? Ah, Vix, Red interrupted, slapping his head. Overwatch, open. Never left you, Bonehead. Nice job with the impersonation. Suck while I make all of your sensors do what I never intended them to do. Red could have sworn he heard the tapping of keys, tapping that sounded far too fast to be strictly human. Roger that. It's, and this is kinda unnerving, a variation on the Tesla energy projector. So, yeah, my guess is these towers are doing two things, powering everything in the city and powering the field generator up above. Since there's a ring of these, they gotta be working together. Take one down, the whole shield will fall apart. Exactly as you said, Red. They form a keystone, and the shield cascades from that. I take back the bonehead part. Let's go then, the genie said. Double time. Our guys are fighting for their lives up there, so we're going to need to throw the sneaky playbook out and up the risk factor here for speed. We might meet resistance. If it moves and it isn't us, take it out. Night, make with the quiet. Silent Night nodded, and together they moved deeper into the tower, weapons drawn. From the antechamber, they found their way into a short corridor lined with recessed doors. Red noted the banners above each, shook his head, and motioned them forward until they arrived at a solid security portal at the end. He studied the console for a moment. With a grimace, he shook one hand free from a glove, sprouted his claws, and pried the console face loose from the wall. He noted the tangle of wires beneath, selected a few seemingly at random, and neatly snipped them with his fingertips. He was rewarded with a small shower of sparks, and then darkness as all the lights in the hallway powered down. One by one, they lit up their shoulder-mounted flashlights, tiny but ridiculously powerful LEDs, and went to work. Red reached into his satchel and pulled out a number of small, sticky rubber spears. He handed them to Scope, who pressed them in place at regular intervals along the edge of the door, while Mel emptied the contents from her hip sack over the floor. Red threw a detonator tonight, and they retreated back, finding cover in the door recesses that lined the hallway. A countdown flared up in their HUDs, and they braced for detonation. Each silent explosion fired off in turn, a series of sharp flares of light accompanied by the vibration underfoot of broken steel pistons as the door supports shattered and collapsed. They emerged in time to see the security door collapse inward and a squad of Kriegers rush out towards them, weapons drawn. The Thulians opened fire, and Red ducked back behind cover, barely dodging a lethal blast from an energy cannon. Pinned down, he looked across the narrow hall to see Mel, also pressed back against a door. She held up her hand, flashed him a grin, and pressed down firmly on her own detonator. The Kriegers, eager to press their advantage, didn't notice the tiny red LEDs that sprang to life under their feet, not until they were engulfed by sudden jets of fire, goo, and plasma that shot up from the floor beneath them. Thank you, Dominic Verdigree, Red heard Vix mutter under her breath. 
As one, Red Genie's infiltrators flew from their nests and riddled their foes with bullets. The Krieger armor, suddenly caked with echo incendiary gel and superheated to a fragile state, cracked and shattered under the rain of gunfire. Confused and silently screaming, they succumbed to the onslaught and fell in place, charred, smoking and bleeding out. Red Squad rushed forward, pausing only to plug a few rounds definitively into the head of each Krieger, and dashed to the inner well of the tower. They arrived at a well-lit open shaft, ringed with grated walkways and a circular staircase leading down around an enormous pillar of steel. Extinguishing their shoulder LEDs, they raced down the stairs, with only a few stops to scan for opposition, above or below. When they reached the bottom, they hesitated and peered cautiously through an open security door. The remaining guards, in their haste, had left the portal open, and as Red's group entered a cavernous chamber, they were met with near-blinding light from beneath them. They found themselves on another grated circular walkway, with open stairs spiraling down the outdoor walls of a large bulbous room. In the center, an enormous Tesla generator rose up and disappeared into the steel pillar lining the open shaft. Red motioned to Knight, who nodded and turned off his noise dampener, releasing the crackle and electrical hum of the Tesla generator. They peered down into the room. Aside from the coil and a few large monitoring instruments, the chamber appeared to be empty. Clear, Red said with satisfaction. Overwatch, we are at target. Ladies, let's get those bombs set. Mel and Scope nodded and raced down the stairs to the chamber floor while Red and Silent Knight stood guard at the door. Mel ran ahead and began planting explosives around the base of the Tesla coil, while Scope struggled to remove the detonators from her rucksack. She knelt down to set the first, and cursed as the display scolded her with an error message. Frowning, she tried another detonator, but was met with the same error message. Her expression turned to panic as she removed yet another detonator, then another, only to be met with that accursed error message. She scooped the detonators up and went down the line of explosives. None of the bomb connections registered correctly. Genie! Scope yelled as Mel ran over to check her work. We got a problem! Of course we do, Red snarled as he leaned over the railing above them. God forbid things ever go smoothly with this outfit. The detonators aren't registering, Scope cried. They're all reading connection errors. What, did you get the contacts dirty? Red asked. Of course not. Your pack's been clanking ever since we left base camp, Red scolded her. You should have secured them better. We haven't been out for a gentle stroll, you know. They probably got messed up in transit. A little jostling wouldn't have done this, Red, and you know it, Scope shouted. She's right, Mel said. This shouldn't be happening. Then what's causing it, Red demanded. I don't know, Scope screamed, and we really don't have time to suss it out. We're going to have to make time, Red replied grimly. Unless we get the timers going, there's no way to get them to blow in sync unless it's manually. Even that's a long shot, Red, Mel warned. If you're off by even a millisecond, you risk only partial detonation. Might not be enough to bring this baby down. I know, 
the genie said. I'm open to other... There's someone moving up there, Silent Knight interrupted from the door. I'm seeing shadows milling around at the top. Oh, perfect, Genie muttered as he joined the armored man. He snuck a peek up the shaft. Sure enough, he caught a glimpse of armored Kriegers at the top, heard a few shouts of alarm, and the telltale echo of clattering boots slamming down on the grated staircase. Slowly, he crept out into the open shaft to get a better look, doing his best to keep hidden under the circular stairs. Can't get a decent count, he hissed. More than one. Can't be more than ten. Knight joined him and extended a hand out towards the center of the shaft. After a moment, he shook his armored head regretfully. We're too far away, he whispered. My readings can't make out how many footsteps. Sorry. Too much interference from the generator, Mel agreed as she slipped in behind them, her scanner in hand. They're moving together. Can't pick out the individual energy signatures. There's only two of them. Red Genie turned. Scope stood in the doorway, her features almost indiscernible as the bright light of the chamber at her back cast the rest of her in shadow. She glanced up again, nodded in confirmation, and looked back at Red. She sighed, and her shoulders sagged a bit as she stepped back through the portal. Scope, what are you? I'll give you fifteen minutes, she said. Fifteen minutes to fight your way out. After that, I'm going to blow it. Don't be an idiot, Red snarled. We can... No, she interrupted. This has to happen, and now. There's too much at stake. Our guys are being picked off up there without the cavalry. There's enough on my head already. It's time to get this assault moving. She sighed again, then straightened up. What's Bull always say? Rise up. Tell him for me, won't you? Tell him I I'm sorry. Tell him I know what a colossal screw-up I've been. Tell him what I did. I think he'd want to know. And before Red could say another word, Scope reached for the door and slammed it shut. The security panel lit up and a stream of red LEDs flashed before turning a bright, steady green. Scope, Red hissed. Scope, open that goddamn door, and you... She appeared at a small eye slit in the door. She blinked slowly and appeared utterly calm. Fifteen minutes, she repeated. You'd better get moving. And then she was gone. With Black Snake acting as support, Red Team was starting to make real progress. They had continued to encounter Krieger resistance, but with the added firepower from the private contractors, the team was able to push through. Black Snake had their own version of the CCCP Echo incendiary rounds. Theirs required two separate shells, each containing a different gel-like substance. The Black Snake versions were just as effective, though it was tricky getting the two shells to hit at nearly the same place. 
several of the other teams had already linked up, including some of the SOF groups. Despite the breathing room bought by Blacksnake taking over and then taking out the strange Thulian artillery, there had been multiple casualties suffered on several of the teams. No names were mentioned, but John Murdoch didn't like the tones he was hearing over the comm. Can't focus on that now. We gotta drive on. They were about four blocks away from the main contingent of metateams when the ambush came. The Kriegers had found some way to be partially shielded from the eyes overhead. They didn't show up on the HUDs until they sprang from their ambush positions to attack. Three Blacksnake operatives were instantly taken out by energy blasts. Immediately, the Mercs and Red Team scattered, assaulting through the ambush positions on the sides of the street. The Kriegers, all unarmored, fell quickly. Molotov, who was in the lead, took a burst of machine gun fire to the chest. Confused and staggered for only a moment, he raised his rifle and shot the offending Krieger dead, causing him to fall from a roof onto the street below. What was that? I thought Kriegers only were using energy weapons. He rubbed his chest, noting the holes the bullets and their splatter had ripped in his load-bearing equipment. Otherwise, due to his resiliency and the nano-weave shirt he was wearing, he was unharmed. Unter, peeking his head around the corner where the team had formed up, looked at the body of the dead Krieger, then grunted. MP-40. Before your time, Tovarish, but I became... well acquainted with it. Must be an antique. Bear clicked his tongue, firing off a burst from his PPSH. The inferior fascista garbage. Still, no match for superior Soviet persuader. They used to try to capture these from the battlefield, recognizing. Be quiet, old bear, came a chorus, not only from the CCCP comrades, but from three or four of the Black Snake who were near enough both to hear bear begin and to have picked up on the phrase by now. Molotov threw a grenade, waiting for the explosion and attendant Krieger shouts before he called into Overwatch. Open, Genjar. Genjar, what is your disposition? Vix had seamlessly integrated the Black Snake comm with the Overwatch system. Other side of the street. We have a total of three down, two injured. Trooper armor is advancing down the street. John saw four Black Snake mercs suddenly emerge from side alleys, shouldering RPGs, aiming, and firing in quick succession. Correction. Trooper armor neutralized. Resistance should fold shortly. He had to give the Black Snake operatives their due. They were good. Kanjar, however, was a cut above. With the trooper armor down, she rushed a Thulean position. Three of them were crouched behind a fallen column of that same marble-like substance where they had been taking pot shots at the Red Team's side of the street. Efficiently, she vaulted over the cover that the Kriegers had been using, landing among them in a low crouch. Before any of them could react with more than a gasp, she started to punch them in some sort of martial arts form he didn't recognize. It reminded John of Untermensch fighting, the way that bones gave way with every impact. Her style was very circular, and she did something he had never seen anyone do quite this way before. She actually dove past her opponents several times, landed in a somersault, and came up fighting. 
The last Krieger she actually stabbed in the chest with her bare hand. The Thulian shrieked once as it died, slipping off of her hand. She shook the gore off of it, then motioned for the rest of her operatives to move up. Got more incoming. Check your HUDs. Most from city center, some are between you and the rest of the teams. Seem to be trying to keep you from hooking up. John saw on his HUD that Vicky was right. Two fairly large groups of Kriegers were homing in on their position. They know exactly where you are. Probably got the city wired up with cams we can't see, or it's the Robo-Eagles, or both. John saw several of the Robo-Eagles wheeling in the sky overhead, and half thought about blasting one of them. Not enough value for the kill, seeing as it would be like turning on a spotlight, highlighting their position. During the pause in the fighting, the Black Snake operatives recovered their dead and wounded. John figured that they'd have to dig in for the moment, take care of the oncoming Kriegers, and then try to link up with the other teams or have the teams link up with them. He trusted in Vicky and the commanders back at the base to make the right call. His job right now was to be a trigger puller and fire chucker. Molotov and Kanjar went about getting everyone set up in defensive positions. Several Black Snake squads were put on the rooftops, especially those armed with the RPGs with specialty warheads. Red Team's job, along with Kanjar and a couple of squads of mercs, would be on the ground, providing a base of fire. Also means we'll be taking the brunt of the attack. John decided to check on Bear and Mamona. Both of them had had a rough time during this mission so far. Mamona was fine for the most part, a little shaken up from her injuries and getting pinned by the artillery, but she was keeping it together. Bear looked ragged. He actually pushed away a proffered flask, his face gone pale and his eyes tired. John looked up from his survey of the team, feeling grim about Bear's chances, then caught Sarah's gaze. He felt something unspoken pass between them and bind them together again, suddenly heard that music well up gently in his mind. A great calm came over him, and he found himself moving towards Bear, as Sarah mirrored his every step coming from the other direction. They met at the old man, who looked up at them startled. Sto? Bear began, but they had eyes only for each other. Still moving in mirror fashion, and as if in a kind of dream, with the music swelling inside him, John rested his left hand on Bear's right shoulder. And an instant later, Sarah placed her right hand atop his. Then they matched their free hands, palm to palm, his right facing her left. He felt the need to concentrate, and closed his eyes, the better to do so, aware as he did so that she was doing the same. Then he felt a jolt of... something... pass from them to bear. The music faded. He opened his eyes, stepping back, hands falling away from Sarah's, glancing down at bear. Bear looked, if not like a new man, certainly a revived one. There was color in his face again, and when Unter, looking a little rattled, absently held out the flask, Bear seized it and drained it. His plasma chamber was still barely visible, obviously still drained, but he seemed to have been somewhat invigorated. 
next time I'm having hungover, we'll be calling you too. On your feet, Pavel. We've got some more Nazis for you to cuss out. John and Unter both helped the old Soviet to his feet, steadying him for a moment. I will destroy many of them, Bear declared, grandly waving in the general direction of the enemy. Unter waved a hand under his nose. Perhaps you only need to breathe on them, old bear. Yet in two positions. They are coming. Molotov didn't need to say anything more. The rest of the team found where they should be, preparing for the oncoming Thulians. The Black Snake teams and Red team were all relatively well concealed, behind good cover. The Kriegers knew what area they were in, but hopefully didn't have pinpoint positions nailed down. If they could just get the Kriegers drawn in a little more before the opening shots of the attack, they had a chance of throwing them into disarray, maybe even breaking the back of the attackers enough so that they could link up with the other infiltration teams. Contact. Front. Scouting element. A less natural voice, probably because of electronic scrambling and descrambling. That was one of the Black Snake operatives. Using one of the connected camera views from one of Vicky's technomagical eyes, John had a bird's-eye view of the oncoming force without having to risk breaking cover. He saw three unarmored Kriegers, moving quickly and low, come around the corner of a building at the end of the street. They used hand signals, advancing forward in bounds. They're getting cautious. Once they had surveyed the street, they signaled for the rest of the force to start moving up. It was comprised mostly of armored troopers, with flanking elements of unarmored Kriegers moving parallel via alleys and side streets. The second force, the one between the team and their comrades, was almost completely made up of trooper armor. They couldn't maneuver through the alleys, so they stayed on the main street, slowly advancing. Molotov waited until the bulk of the trooper armor was in the street, with most of them past the furthest black snake team on the rooftops. Now, rooftop teams, engage at will. Ruth, engage. That was a female voice. Probably, no, without a doubt. Kanjar, confirming the order. From both sides of the street, contrails from rockets streaked down into the back of the Krieger formation. Two troopers were taken out instantly, and messily. The rest initially were caught by surprise, but soon started firing at the edges of the rooftops from where the offending RPGs came from. Ground team, fire now! Ground team, fire now! Engage all! Kanjar's order overran the second half of Moji's. John leaned around the corner, judged the distance and the spread of the Kriegers, then released a lethal blast of fire. The stream of fire impacted one of the lead troopers at the center of their formation. From there, it blossomed, spreading until it had engulfed most of the powered armor. He was immediately answered by a hail of Thulian energy cannon fire. Ducking out of the way at the last second before chunks of the corner he was taking cover behind disappeared in a wash of actinic energy. The rest of the team and the Black Snake Mercs all began the main body of gunfire, targeting individual trooper armor while they were still out in the open. Several more fell, but the Kriegers had begun to take cover, firing and moving. John held back in cover a moment, for a little while, 
there was nothing he could do. Love, I want to try something. Make a little flame in your hand for me. Sarah huddled up against his side as he let the others lay down a withering barrage of fire. John, moving his rifle out of the way, held up his right hand, palm up, and ignited a small sphere of flame. Sarah gingerly moved her finger near it, then into it. John started, his jaw dropping, thinking he was about to burn her. Her face lit up with a smile. Your fires do not harm me any more than my own do, she exclaimed. We can use this, I think. At the least, you need not be concerned about striking me. John grinned, then nodded. Let's wait for the right moment. Don't want to blow our shot with the trick until we need to. He and Sarah rejoined their comrades, John alternately blasting troopers with his fires or shooting them with his rifle, while Sarah was occupied with manifesting and throwing her fire spears with deadly accuracy. The Kriegers had taken some losses, but they were starting to coordinate better. One of the rooftop RPG teams, followed shortly by another, were killed when the Kriegers began to lob grenades onto the rooftops. The grenades would land, going off not with an explosion, but a sphere of Thulean energy. Nearly anything within its blast radius would be reduced to dust and vapor. Second group, advancing on right flank. That was Untermensch, shouting over the gunfire and explosions. This group was almost entirely trooper armor. They reached the junction between the street the team was on and the one they had been traveling along, oriented to the teams, and began firing immediately. One of the Black Snake teams on the ground was blindsided, a withering volley of energy blasts cutting down all but one of the operatives. John whirled around to face the new enemy. He could tell that Sarah was already moving, anticipating what he was going to do. Again, the music faded into the back of his mind, and all his senses became keener, sharper. He thought he knew that music, now, what it was. But there was no time to think about it. Concentrating, visualizing what he wanted to happen, he wheeled fire into his hands, then immediately raised his arms, the flames shooting out to meet the Kriegers. John felt everything happening in a double vision, seeing it and also seeing it before. It was like a form of instant déjà vu, intense and almost perfect. Sarah dashed from cover, causing some of the rest of the squad to shout or gasp as she ran in front of John's hands, disappearing within the torrent of fire. The front wave of the flames had crashed into the first troopers, heating their armor and obscuring their vision. They continued firing as their allies behind them found cover to the sides of the street, not daring to venture into the inferno. And then... Though it was difficult to see through the fire, something began cutting the Kriegers down. John knew what it was, though. That something was Sarah, whirling and dancing within his fires and her own, her fire sword nothing but a deadly flicker among the greater flames, until the last of the Thulians toppled to the pavement. Then something almost too bright to see flashed up and into the air out of the inferno, flames trailing it and Sarah landed, breathless, behind him. 
John shut off his fires all at once, the last wisps of flames dissipating into the air. With no small amount of satisfaction, he noticed that the remaining Kriegers were visibly unnerved when they saw the front ranks of trooper armor had been both burned and cut to smoking pieces. Two troopers actually tried to plod away, and were shot in the back by what John figured was a commanding officer. Concentrating, he fired off a plasma blast, hitting the leader in the back of the head and killing him instantly. The rest of the troopers tried to regain their composure, returning fire, but John could tell their hearts weren't into it. Their shots were wild, panicked, with only a few coming close to John's cover. Several other Kriegers retreated, not even bothering to shoot. No one stopped them. Boss, boy, Molotov breathed. Where are you learning to do that? Just now, Sarah said, still catching her breath. I do not believe that they will fall for our trick again so easily, though. Well, be coming up with more. The fascistas are giving us many problems. An explosion, followed by screams, punctuated his words. The Kriegers, despite taking heavy losses, were still advancing from the city square. The Black Snake Mercs and Red Team were making them pay for every inch, but that didn't change the fact that they were an isolated group fighting against what amounted to an army. Red Team Leader, do you read me? That was Kanjar. John couldn't see where she was, and he had other things to worry about at the moment. Spotting a group of unarmored Kriegers coming out from an alley across from their position, John charged his fires and blasted the entire group, sending them to the ground flaming. This is Red Team Leader, Molotov said, pausing to aim his rifle and fire a burst into the chest of a trooper that had been weakened by an RPG. Go ahead. Position is untenable. We have multiple casualties, and the enemy is still advancing. Advising that we make a push for the other teams, or withdraw. Check your HUDs. Pullback is a big no-can-do, Vix replied, before Molotov could. You're being rear-flanked. Exit's about to be cut off. The other teams are still bogged down, so you're on your own for now. Molotov uttered a long string of expletives in Russian. Copy, Overwatch. Kenjar, we will have to be regrouping and making push for other teams. Only option. Prepare to join our position. We will provide covering fire. He turned to the rest of the team. This will be getting messy. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com 
Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.